0: But yet, it is one of the keys that we find is essential if you're going to climb out of your crisis of belief. So uh, turn to Habakkuk uh, for the last time, and we're finishing up this series on hearing God's voice today out of Habakkuk chapter 3. And there are some uh, notes for you in the bulletin. You can take the outline and, and kind of look along. Um, one of the things I know about each and every one of us is that we are creatures of habit. We like our routines, right? Most of you probably have a morning routine where you may get up, have a cup of coffee, uh, watch the news, get depressed, pray for the rapture, and go back to bed, right? So that might be your routine. Pretty good one these days, Uh some of you, you know, you have your, your routine, um, those of you who have children, there is a routine, you, you try to keep your child, your child or children on a routine and things go a little bit better and there's really nothing wrong with routines um, because they do help, uh, help us navigate life, but sometimes our routines can get in the way of relationship. For example, uh, you know, when you go on vacation, if you have small kids, it's very stressful, right? Because everybody's out of their routine. Mom and dad, they're out of their routine. The kids are out of their routine. And so, you know, when I was young and uh, foolish, now I'm just old and dumb, but when I was young and foolish, uh, our children were small and I had two daughters and they had bladders about the size of a dime, you know, and they're always wanting something to drink and you stop at every bathroom between here and wherever you're going. Now, my goal uh, uh, when I traveled in the car for vacation was how many miles can I conquer today? All right. How many miles? I got to conquer them. I got all, my routine is all mapped out. Here's how far we're going to get. And then when you got to stop at rest areas or whatever, you know, restroom you can find along the way, what's, what's the dad thinking? Man, I passed those cars twenty minutes ago, and now they're zooming by me, and it got me out of my routine. And then, so that disruption of routine creates conflict in relationship because now you're all steamed at your kids because they can't hold, you know, their liquids, and then you're you're getting agitated with them, and then your wife is like snapping back at you, and you're and then it just it just disintegrates from there. Am, am I alone in that? All right, men, fess up, because I know I'm not alone in this, because we're we're conquerors, right? We want to conquer miles. So so routine is good in life, but routine is not good if it disrupts a relationship. Uh, Another example would be uh, the relationship between a husband and a wife. Sometimes that relationship becomes nothing more than routine, and then the couple stays together for years only for the sake of the children, and then when the children grow up and leave the house... All of a sudden, uh, because the relationship was built on nothing but routine, now the husband and wife don't even know each other anymore, and we are discovering that the second highest time of divorce is among empty nesters, because life was all about the routine built around the children, but at the cost of the relationship between the husband and wife, and now they don't even know each other anymore. The same thing can be true in our relationship with God. If we are not careful, we can limit our relationship with God to nothing more than a routine. This is my routine, I get it, I check off the box, I had prayer, I read Bible, I did this, I did that, and and it's just kind of rote, it's just routine, it's just like I'm checking off a box but it's not really about relationship. Again, there's nothing wrong with routine because your routine may be that you have a quiet time with God in the morning. That's great and that's wonderful so long as the routine does not get in the way of the relationship. And so this is kinda of what happened to Habakkuk. You know, Habakkuk is a prophet of God and he uh, you know, he prays, he, he reads his Bible, he goes to church, to the temple, and yet his relationship with God had been relegated to a routine. And when God steps in and shakes up his routine, he is absolutely disoriented. He doesn't know up from down, right from left. I mean, he, he's just completely disrupted because... Um, and then he, in his frustration, he pens a journal about his frustration. And that's what we have, is the book of Habakkuk. Unlike any other prophetic book this is not a message from God to Habakkuk back to the people of God. This is a message between God and Habakkuk. They're kind of wrestling back and forth. Remember that Habakkuk's name means to wrestle and to embrace. And so he's kind of wrestling with God. He's got all these questions in his mind because Habakkuk wants what we want. He he wanted God to join his routine. And it's like God you're welcome in this relationship. That's kind of what we think sometimes. And you know, God, I, I I know exactly what I need. I've got it all planned out. My life is it's step one, two, three, four, five. And God, just get in on my plan and in on my routine, and everything will go well. Everything will go right. Everything according to plan. And, and you're going to fulfill all of my hopes and all of my dreams. And, and you're going to protect me from all you know uh, of my failures in life or wrong decisions. Decisions or all the bad things that could happen to me, and my family's just going to be blessed, and we're going to be happy and, and live for you know forever. You're going to fulfill all of my longings. And God says, eh, wait a minute. I don't do routines. What I do do is relationships. So when God disrupts your routine, if your relationship is built on nothing that other than routine, when God disrupts that, now your life begins to fall apart because there has been no depth of relationship. God says, you can't manage me. You can't control me. You you can't invite me to submit to you and to follow you. That's not how it, it works. And so sometimes the most confusing moments in our lives are opportunities for either we get frustrated with God because he just doesn't understand our routine and he's just not working with us, or it can be a time in your life that you grow in faith towards God because he is disrupting your routine for the sake of building the relationship. Why is this important? Because when what you see around you, what is going on around you in your life, If it doesn't match up with what you see and believe about God, it's going to lead you to a crisis of belief. How you respond to that crisis of belief will be largely determined on whether or not you just have relegated God to a routine in your life as opposed to a deepening relationship. It's a world of difference. And so um, couples, when they face a crisis, again, again, The potential of a crisis to split a marriage will be dependent largely upon, is this relationship built more on routine or is it built relationally? We see this happen all the time. There's a crisis that hits them and there's no depth in the relationship. And so their level of response is totally different. And oftentimes it disintegrates the relationship. So climbing out of your crisis of belief is going to require three things. The two of them we've already talked about, but I'm going to just review them briefly. Number one is you got—you got, you got to wrestle with God. You wrestle with God in relationship, right? Sometimes you've got to wrestle with God because you had the same three questions that Habakkuk had for God because of the events that are happening in your life that are outside of your control perhaps some of them may be within your control but most of what happens to us in life is way outside of our control and we're saying like God how am I going to make it it's a season where everything in your life just seems to be falling apart and your future horizon doesn't look any better than the present and this is exactly where Habakkuk was Again, he prophesied around 600 B.C. at a time when things were unraveling fast. He was a prophet over the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. The Babylonians are pressing down upon Judah. And God has said to Habakkuk, I'm going to use this ruthless, evil group of people to bring you down because you have turned your hearts away from me. And so drought and devastation in the land has come to the point that fields are no longer producing their crop and cattle, they're even starving to death, or being stolen by the, the Babylonians. And Habakkuk describes the situation in chapter 3 and verse 17 where he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. I mean, that's pretty devastating, right? Basically, it, that verse is a Hebrew country song. Man, my wife left me, I lost my job, my truck is missing, and my dog died. I mean, it all happened right there at the same time. And so he's just kind of lamenting about, man, things are bad and they're just getting worse, and my future doesn't look any better. God, where? how am I going to make it? What am I going to do? And and again, the Babylonians are are pressing in upon them. And the second question is, God, where are you? (laughs) You know, I thought you loved me. I know you're powerful. I know, you, I, I know you've done things in the past. I, I know you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. There's nothing outside the realm of your control. God, then, then where are you? I, I thought you loved me. I thought you would come and rescue me. I thought you were going to protect me, and I thought you were going to you know, provide for me. And so he's wrestling with God to make sense of it all. You've been there, right? You, you've had wrestling matches with God. This is not new in Scripture Jacob wrestled with God. There are a lot of people that wrestle with God because there's a lot of things that can happen because we are fallen people in a fallen world that creates so much pain and, and just uh, breakdown within us. And then this third question is, God, how is this even remotely fair? Again, Babylon was causing Judah all kinds of problems And uh, they were more wicked and and godless than the nation of Judah had become. And so Habakkuk asked the question, God, how is this fair that we go through this while the Babylonians seem to be getting off scot-free? Everything they touch seems to turn to gold for them. How is that fair? I thought you were God. I thought you loved us. I thought you promised to provide for us and protect us. And so look in uh, chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? He's speaking of the Babylonians. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous, being Judah, than themselves? Or he's speaking of himself. How can you take someone more evil than me to swallow up me, the lesser of the two evils? In essence, God, if you're good, you would. If you could, you should. Since you're not... It, it means you aren't. You must not be good. This is kind of the wrestling match. God, if you're good, then why is this happening? Why are you not intervening? God, if you love me, if you care about me. Now, I'm sure that there are times in your life you which you have asked those very questions and you have wrestled with God over these very issues, especially when they're personal. And there are a lot of personal things that happen to us. And so we wrestle with God as we try to climb out of this, this pit that we're in, out of this valley. The second thing is then what Bacchus did is he waited on God. You have to wait upon the Lord. In chapter 2, you'll recall it says, uh, he says in verse 1, I will look to see what he will say. I'm going to go up on the ramparts and I'm going to look to see what he's going to say to me and what answer I'm, I am to give to this complaint Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets. In other words, make it permanent so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And so God says, I want you to listen. I want you to write. And I want you to wait. Remember, this is about relationship. Now here's the problem we have oftentimes with relationship is that we take relationship and we turn it into routine. And one of the ways you know that you have turned it into routine is you say something like, God, this is just one more thing I've got to do. This is just one more task. This is just one more. I've got so much to do every day. God, I've got to get up and I've got to spend time with you and in your word and, and, and I feel guilty if I don't do it. And it's just one more thing added on my day and, and I'm about to break now. One more straw is going to break this camel's back. And then all of a sudden, Rather than relationship, uh, we've made it routine, and now we're ticked off about the routine, right? And and so there's just this friction between us and God. You know, okay, God, um, how how many minutes? How many minutes of the day do you need from me? How many hours should I spend in prayer? Just one more job, one more task, and in your mind, whatever you do, it's never enough. Right? Because you have an enemy that comes to you and says, you know what? Let's say you say, you know, I'm going to pray 10 minutes tomorrow. You get up, pray 10 minutes, and the enemy comes against you. That's not enough. Is that all you're going to give God? Really? After all he's done for you? Is that all you've got to give him? And then we get in this wrestling match in our minds with our enemy um, over whether or not we spend enough time. Here's all, here's what God's saying. Marlon and I talk about this all the time. Here's all God's saying is. I want to spend time with you because I miss you. I want to be your friend. I don't want to be a routine. I'm not into routines, but I am into relationship. So get up. Grab a cup of coffee. Sit down. Have a conversation with God like you'd have a conversation with your best friend. Why is that important? Because with your best friends, they know your secrets You want to know what God wants to give to you when he says to stop? Listen, write, wait. I want to give you my secrets. I want to download those to you in your personal moment of crisis. I want to prop up your belief. I want to strengthen your faith. I want you to grow in this process. And this is what friends do, right? They help each other out. They navigate together. And so it's not a question of, you know, routine, oh, you know, I've got to spend X number of time, and I've got to spend, you know, I've got to read a whole chapter, or I've got to read two chapters. No, I would rather you read one verse. Just take a cup of coffee, tea, whatever it is you like, and one verse, just read one verse and just have a conversation with God like you would have a conversation with your best friend in a discussion, right? End of time. Whether it takes you five minutes, it doesn't matter. Stop looking at your clock. And just carry on the conversation throughout the day. Do you know I can have a conversation with God in my car? I can have a conversation with God when I walk in this building. I can have a conversation with God before I go into a meeting. I I can be in conversation with God all day long. That, my friend, is prayer. And you give God opportunity as your friend, as your father, to guide you and to direct you and to give you advice and to let the Spirit of God Hear the voice of your Heavenly Father because if you will position yourself when the time is right, he says, he will speak. You know, my best friend of all time is my wife. And I'm not saying that just because she's sitting here. But I do know this. There are times when I have reduced our relationship to a routine. And one of the ways I know that is she would say things like, I miss you. You're here, but you're not really here. You're listening, but you're not really listening. You think you're engaged, but you're really disengaged. And so the relationship had been reduced to routine. It wasn't really about relationship. So one of the things we do is Friday is is my Sabbath day. It is a day in which I do I I do not do what I do for a living, which is being a pastor. I have to disengage. I have to disembark from the church. Because when I had reduced our relationship to routine, my wife said to me, the church is your mistress. How do I fight against God? Those are sobering words. And so Friday's my Sabbath. It is the day that we spend together. And it, it better be really important if, you're gonna tr- if, if we're going to be apart or doing separate things. Now, that happens, obviously, from time to time. But it's, it's about, again, building relationships. So here's the third aspect in chapter 3 is that we not only wrestle with God and we wait upon him, but we worship the goodness of God. We worship the goodness of God. The word worship means to praise, to exalt to uh, glorify. Notice what it says in Habakkuk uh, 3.1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet on Shiganoth. You say, what in the world is a Shigunath? Well, more than likely, it is a musical term. In other words, Habakkuk is going to take his prayer and he's going to turn it back to the Lord as a song of worship and praise, Even though everything around him is disintegrating, although as he looks out onto the horizon, it doesn't look any better, he's going to choose as an act of his will to trust his heavenly father, and he's going to offer this prayer as a a praise offering to the Lord. Even though he doesn't know how things are ultimately going to turn out, he knows who ultimately holds his future in his hands. I mean, Will Smith, I think, picked up on this le- later and called it, you know, get shiggy with it. But uh, I'm not sure what that means. But notice what he says. Lord, I have heard your, of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. That word renew, in our day, in our time. In other words, Lord, remember. Remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. There is a season. God, uh, you came to Temna, and the Holy One of Mount Paran, Selah. That's a a pause. And so he goes into, and here's how we offer up this worship. He says, I want you to renew. It's the Hebrew word shakah, and it means to renew, to revive, to restore. Um, God, I remember how you used to do this. I remember how you used to do this. Now now do it again. I need to get into God's presence and have a conversation with him. Listen, your problems will only be resolved as you enter into the realm of God's presence. He is the problem solver. And even if the problem around you is not being solved instantaneously, God has the power and the ability to bring such peace deep within your soul that surpasses all human understanding, Paul says, that guards our hearts and our minds. And Paul said, when does that come? It comes when we pray and we petition with thanksgiving to the Lord. It is an offering of praise to him that he brings this sense of peace as God is operating in our lives. God, I want resolution to my problem. God says, I want I want relationship in my presence. I want to burst your routine out of the water because I'm not interested in routine. I'm interested in relationship, and relationship is experienced in my presence. And so he's going to spend time praying to God and crying out to him and being honest with God, and he's journaling this prayer life, and we have it before us in this book. You know, as a new Christian, I thought... You know, um, when I was a brand new believer, I thought, well, what's the purpose of prayer anyways? I mean, why, why do I need to tell God what he already knows, right? I mean, you tell me God's all-knowing, and then you tell me i got to tell him what he already knows. Why would I do that? Or, uh, or is prayer just telling God what I want and then him doing what I want? Is, is that really what prayer is all about? And so as an early believer, I was really very confused about prayer. Why would I tell God what he already wants to, to knows? And if he's all powerful, he's going to do what he wants to do anyway, so why would I tell him what I want? Because he's just ultimately going to do what he wants to do. Let me give you five benefits of prayer. Number one is prayer is how you let God be God. Much of Habakkuk's prayer in his book is to remind himself of who God is. We say, well, I want to know, but I don't want to know because I want to be in control, and I don't want to be out of control. And if God's in control, I, I you know. Listen, hopelessness is when you give up on something. Faith is when you give it to God in prayer because prayer is an act of faith. It simply says, I can trust God to be God, and that's enough. I'm going to trust him. Listen, God, if, if God is my friend, he's my heavenly father, does he not know what is best for me? Does he not know what it's going to take to deepen my faith and my trust in him? Does he not know what it's going to take to build deep, intimate relationship so that my Walk with him does not get reduced to a routine. Absolutely he does. And so prayer helps me let God be God. And secondly, prayer is where you let you be you. God, you be you, I'll be me, and do what only you can do, and I will do with the best of what I can do. And some of you really don't have faith that God will be in your future, so you have great fear of it. And prayer is what gives you the hope, the faith, and the trust in your Heavenly Father for your future. Stop trying to do God's job. You can't. You think you're in control. You think you're going to manipulate your way. Why would you want that? Do you not trust in this relationship enough to let God be God and let God do what he needs to do and you be you and you do what you need to do? See, even in the New Testament, it talks about working out the salvation that God has worked into us. And the, the Holy Spirit is worked into us, and he will work. Listen, so transformation, watch this, transformation does not happen because I set up all of these rigid routines in my life. And if I just check off these boxes every day, man, if I check off my box of prayer, and I check off my box of Bible reading, and I, I check off my box of serving God, and I check. So what I've done is I've taken God, and I have compartmentalized him in my life, and he's just one compartment among many when, in fact, he wants wants to be at the center of everything relationally. And so watch this. If I just take my cup of coffee, I sit down and have a conversation with my Heavenly Father, and I just kind of look into his word and pray that the Holy Spirit bring transformation in my life, I'm going to tell you, over time, the Holy Spirit is going to bring transformation in your life. It might be subtle. It's not like he's going to change everything overnight. Stop looking for per- perfection. God is not looking for perfection out of you. He's only looking for progress. Don't make it a routine. Make it a relationship. So when you're walking on the treadmill one day and God may say to you, hey, I I want you to pray for this person over there. And she's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do that. And then let's let God be God and you be you. And you respond to God's Word to you, and and God does incredible things. Number three, prayer is how you deepen relationship because prayer is conversation. It is heartfelt conversation that gets to the heart of the Father. Number four, prayer is how you release pressure. How many of you, when trials and anxiety and trouble comes, you feel this pressure starting to mount inside of you? Now, here's the mistake I made for a long time. When pressure mounted inside of me, you know what I said? I've got to plan harder. I've got to do more. I've got to try harder. I've got to put more things on my schedule, and then I, I'll, I'll work it out. And I never came to the point where I just, like, relax and let God do what only God can do. I would do what I needed to do and just focus on relationship. I remember Adrian Rogers many, many years ago, former pastor of Bellevue. I've gone on to be with the Lord who has taught my part of my doctoral work. And he, he, he said, guys, I'm going to tell you, you work on the depth of the relationship. God will do the breadth of your ministry. Prayer is how you release the pressure. It's like the relief valve on the side of your hot water tank. You may not know you have one, but you do. So that if the pressure inside of that hot water tank begins to build and exceed the pressure on the outside of it, that valve goes off and relieves the pressure in the hot water tank. If that valve fails to function, that tank will explode in your household. Not to bring fear into you, but uh, yeah. So that's what prayer does, is prayer is our release valve. I'm just, I'm just telling it to my Heavenly Father and I'm, I'm just pouring my he- heart out, otherwise... What I will do is I will, in my brokenness, I will start self-medicating, right? And you know what your self-medication mode is, whatever it is for you. But God doesn't want us to self-medicate. He wants to heal the brokenness. He wants to release the anxiety. He wants to release the fear. And so here's number five. Prayer is how you transfer the burden over to the Lord. It's the transfer model. I'm having conversation with my Heavenly Father, and I'm transferring my burdens over to Him. Every single day, I just transfer, I up, unload it, unload it. It's not that I don't have any responsibility or I'm not to do anything, but I'm not to carry the burden. Get the rocks out of your backpack. Because if you don't, I guarantee you, you are going to collapse. You're going to fold under the pressure, you're going to explode. And usually, you explode all over those who are closest to you. You're like the volcano, and you just—it's built, 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 built—and you just spew out all over everybody. And then you say things, and you do things that you'll forever regret. So, prayer, worshiping the goodness of God. So, here are the three things that He worshipped. First of all, you remember what God has done. You remember what God has done in. Habakkuk's journal entry, if you read verses 3 through 15, it shouldn't be 3 through 6, 3 through 15, what does Habakkuk does? He starts remembering. He goes back to the days of the Exodus when God raised up Abraham and through him came a family and that family began to grow and there was famine in the land and they end up in Egypt where there is food and there's plenty there And because God has strategically stationed Joseph there. Uh, to intervene for the family. And so for 400 years, they're, they're in this situation. But you know, over time, uh, the Pharaoh, who thought he was God, uh, eventually he dies. And so you know, the political leadership changes, and they're no longer welcome. And now they are enslaved in Egypt. And they serve there year after year after year. And so God's people become enslaved to a political leader who oppresses them and abuses them. And they start crying out to the Lord in the midst of their oppression. And God answers their prayers. And he raises up Moses, that mighty leader, and brings Moses into Egypt to deliver his people out of Egyptian bondage. And so Habakkuk's saying, I wonder wonder what it feels like to live under such oppression. I, I wonder what it feels like to be under a political rule where you're abused by a tyrant and mistreated and your rights are taken away. But he says, I remember the fact that God brought a deliverer and brought them out of that enslavement. I remember that. And he remembers that God answered their prayers which gave them faith and gave him faith. And he remembers that God delivered them and gave them hope, and he can deliver him. And he reminds himself that God crushes Pharaoh through a, a series of plagues and delivers them out of Egypt. And after their delivery, what did the people do? after God splits the Red Sea and they cross the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army's bearing down on their backside and God just crushes them under the weight of the water and God starts directing his people in what is known as the wilderness wandering. And what what do the people do? God's presence went with them. I mean, a pillar of fire and a cloud and, and all of a sudden... They get mad at Moses because, like, Moses, you bring us out here to kill us? I uh, mean, we're just like, there's no, there's no food, there's no water, there's none of this stuff. We want to go back to Egypt where we were slaves because we had leeks and onions. Those might have been mighty leeks and onions, all I can say. If you want to go back to enslavement, right, it's just for leeks and onions. In other words, they were saying, Moses... We prefer routine, not relationship. They'd rather go back to Egypt and be stuck in an enslaved routine than to walk with the Lord in relationship because he wasn't the routine they expected him to be. Isn't it true that oftentimes we prefer routine which is death to a relationship because we can't control the routine we can't control god and our future is uncertain and our present seems to be moving nowhere and so we wrestle with the fact that can i trust god in relationship or can i control him through routine And so this is where the word of God comes into play for you. Open the word of God and you will probably hear the voice of God. God's word is alive because it was spoken by an eternal God. Every word breathed out of his mouth is life. Read the word of God. You have heard God. But God goes even beyond just his written word to his speaking to us, the rima of God, the the message of God. And so the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and downloads this message to us. And so this is why the Bible is so important. Every other book is nothing more than an opinion, a philosophy, a religion with speculation, not revelation. And it has a shelf life and it expires. Listen, Uh, God's word is eternal it never expires and since you are an eternal people you need an eternal word from an eternal God because you are eternal that's the way God created you he did not create you for time he created you for eternity that's why you have a soul and a spirit and so when you come to God's word you need to decide between you know is this going to be a burden study or a book study it doesn't matter Sometimes I come to God because I have a burden on my heart and I want to find out what God's Word has to say about it. Sometimes I just start having conversation with God and I'm just reading in a certain area of God's Word and God, out of that Word, just brings a burden on my heart for what He's saying to me out of that section of Scripture. But here's what I would say. Don't keep plowing the same field over and over again. I know some people say, Well, you know, I don't really read God's Word much, but I do read a Proverbs a day. Well, that's great and that's wonderful, but there's a whole lot more God's got to say than just in Proverbs. Right? So spread yourself around a little bit. (laughs) It's I want to I want to release you here. It's less about how much you read, it's more about how much you retain. It's not about getting information. I know a lot of Christians who know a lot of information about the Bible, but have experienced hardly any transformation. It's not about head knowledge. It's about transformation of your mind, the renewing of your mind. I'd rather you read one verse and spend an entire week just looking at that verse, memorizing it, meditating on it, thinking about it, talk with your father about it for a week or a month than to read four books of the Bible and not remember anything. What's the point? The point is that God wants to breathe into you at your moment and time of need, build Relationship. Speak to him in prayer and hear from him in the scripture. So he says, I remember what you've done, and Lord, I'm going to accept what you are doing. Look in verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, Dec- decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. In other words, I'm, God, I'll wait for the day that your justice rolls down on the Babylonians. You remember what he said back in, in uh, verse, chapter 3 in verse 2? Verse he says, in wrath, remember mercy. This is very important. So let me just hit on this a minute and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Nobody wants to talk about the wrath of God anymore. We're all about the love. All about the love and grace. Do you know the love of God is mentioned many, many times in the Bible, but the, by far, the most, the the attribute of God that is discussed the most is God's holiness. God is holy and he is just. And for our sakes, he is merciful. When we sin, we violate his holiness. We violate his character. His character, it is a behavior. It breaches our relationship. God's wrath, there are 20 different words used over 600 times in the Old and New Testament. And God's wrath ultimately culminates in hell where those who do not belong to the Lord... And receive the Lord Jesus Christ, receive the justice of God. Now, before you get all riled up about that, God has a right to justice. You have a right to justice because you're created in the image of God. Somebody comes along and steals your car, you want justice, right? You want that person to have to return it. You want them to pay. Or let's take it a step further, even worse, someone takes a life of your family member, you better believe you want justice, and rightfully so. Because that's the way we are created. We are created in God's image. We want justice. But it's amazing when we flip the scales, and we're the ones who need mercy. We don't want God's justice. Give me mercy, Lord, give me mercy. No justice here, no justice here. You want to know why God can give us mercy instead of justice? Well, here it is displayed on this table because of Jesus' payment on the cross for our sins. He satisfied the justice of God that declared that the wages of sin is death. But Paul went on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what God did was he took Jesus from his throne in heaven, Jesus volunteering Come and, and clothing himself in human flesh so that he could die on a cross so that God could pour out his wrath upon Jesus. The wrath that was meant for us, the wrath that was due to us because of God's justice... I know that we don't think we're very big sinners, well, you know, because we always get into the comparison thing, right? Well, I've never done this, this, and this, and this, but you, when you put it against the backdrop of God's holiness, you, you can't even begin to stand in his presence because of sin, and so God rolls out the wrath upon his son, Jesus Christ, on a cross who died the death that we should have died and lived the life that we could not live so that we could have his life in us. And so the eternal problem is the problem. And he being our substitute, the cross was the answer to Habakkuk's prayer. Remember wrath, remember mercy. That's the answer. The cross is the answer to that prayer. And Jesus goes to the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wrath of God was poured out on his son and Jesus takes the place of wrath and then he positions us in a place of mercy, right? Death to him, life to us. Condemnation to him, salvation to us. Unrighteousness to him, righteousness to us. And three days in the grave, he comes out of that grave conquering Satan and sin and death and hell and the wrath of God. And he lives today, and he hears your prayers, and he will forgive your sin, and he will clothe you in his righteousness so that as God looks down upon us, no longer does he look at us through the eyes of justice. He looks at us through the eyes of mercy. That's why we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. It is an answer to Habakkuk's prayer that you and I, rather than receiving the justice of God, we receive the mercy of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And listen, sin is what puts us in a position of justice, but it is unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ that will seal you in that position if you forsake him in this lifetime. But it's through a relationship with Christ. How did we enter into that relationship with Christ? Because of God's mercy. It was the mercy of God who allowed the Holy Spirit of God to reach down into our sin hardened hearts in order to break those hearts apart, you know, like softening the soil to be receptive to the truth of God's word and to pull the scales of blindness away, as Paul says it, so that we could see our need for Jesus. And He is the one who drew us into that relationship with Christ. And if that weren't enough, he gave us the gift of faith that we could even believe in the gospel of Christ that enabled us to experience the father's mercy. It's all a God Letting God be God and then out of my freedom of human will, I responded to that call of God and I received Christ into my life just as you have. And so when we come and we are in these deep, dark valleys in this time of a crisis of belief, I reflect back. I remember what God has done for me from the moment of my salvation all the way throughout the course of my life. And I accept what God is doing because I know that God is doing a work in me that could could not be accomplished in any other way if the Father has allowed it to be filtered through his hands. And then lastly, I trust what God will do. I trust what God will do. Here's what he says in verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights for the director of music of my stringed instruments. I will rejoice. That's craziness. I'm going to rejoice? Yeah. It's the theme of Habakkuk. Remember what it is? Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. It is worship. It is what we do until we see what God does. Worship is trusting that God will show up. And until we show up, we continue to rejoice and we fill our hearts with worship and adoration. Because otherwise, if we're not careful, and this is because of a lot of bad teaching concerning uh, 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 worship, is that worship does not mean... That if I'm worshiping my Father, that He's going to make sure that everything that is wrong is made right, and that life is always going to turn out the way I want, and nobody's ever going to get sick, and I'm never going to lose my job, and I'm, I'm never going to have to pray over a child who's who's you know may have cancer or kids who walk away from the Lord, or the, I'm never going to have a business that's going to fail. Because many of you have gone through life and you have trusted God, you have worshipped Him, you have given Him your praise and adoration, you've built relationship. And yet some of you, you have gotten sick, you've lost jobs, there's been divorce, kids have walked away from the Lord, businesses have failed, and so because of bad teaching, when people say, well, no, 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 God will protect you all the, from all this if you just come to Jesus and worship him, because of bad teaching, a lot of people, when these things happen, they get angry with God and they walk away. You see, idolatry is when we use God to get something that we value more than him. And idolatry is the problem of the human heart. And when you put God in a routine and say, okay, God, these are the things that I value. Make sure you take care of them. Because if you let one of them slip, I'm out of here. It won't be very long before your heart begins to crumble. God does not exist to give you your idol. God exists to be the object of your affection, the center of your devotion, the cause of your adoration. If God wants to heal you, I'm going to rejoice with you. God wants to save your marriage, man, I'm going to rejoice with you. God grabs hold of those wayward kids and brings them back, I will rejoice with you. I will rejoice if God flourishes you financially. I will rejoice with you. But you cannot use God to get something or someone that you value more than him. And Habakkuk came to that understanding. Man, the reason why God's allowing this to happen is because idolatry has filled our hearts. Just go back to chapter 1 and read it carefully. And God doesn't exist to fulfill our idolatrous dreams, and so I will worship Him, because God is doing a work, and I will trust God to do what only He can do. So here's the bottom line: we often want resolution when God longs for relationship. The spire hits, Father. We thank you for the display of the Lord's table as we celebrate this. Together as a church family, as a body of believers, we are so grateful of the mercy, Lord, that it displays, that you have given us life instead of death and salvation instead of condemnation and righteousness instead of unrighteousness. You have brought healing to our spirit. You're bringing healing into our souls, and ultimately you're going to heal these bodies of ours, and we're going to receive new bodies. and. And, God, our our souls will be brought into perfection, and, and, Lord, we will spend eternity with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy.